17th of March 2015, and this is the Audio Podcast, episode 145, Headset Insert Format. Hello, Scott. Here are some glitchy problems today. Are you there, Adam? Love you, no. Okay, well, we have news, we have plunder, and they're... Big put it on the outside of the ear and gives you an opportunity. So do you think we might all end up walking around with full-size headphones like we're currently wearing right now on our heads? Um, I don't, you know, not directly into your ears, as... That's the things that you're talking about. <laughs> Sorry, that's that what I was going with directly into your ears. Yep. As, as it comes to... Washburg? That's Walt. right, yes. Uh, Recode is the uh, the site that had the original... Walt, Walt Mossberg. And basically, uh, Walt Mossberg talked and Tim was like, okay, yeah, but this is the situation. And, you know, he mentions a thing that I've, I've been thinking for ages, which is that... Um, that when a, a track is played once on the radio it's heard by thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people maybe, who knows but when when a track is listened to on Pandora, Pandora it's it's one person listening to it and but multiple people are listening to the same track at, you know, at any one time so you know the, the maths is completely you're not comparing like for like one radio play is not the same as one person playing a song one time. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and there's a figure that he mentions that if you did kind of bring them into line, um, then... $1,300. Per play. Per play, yeah. <laughs> That's the figure. Yeah. Equivalence. So, so, yeah, I mean... Yeah, read it. You know, head to the head to the show notes, click on the link, and read away. It's not too long. You'll you'll get through it in a couple of minutes, but it's uh, it's a good little read. Cool. I I thought it was a good interview. I remember seeing it. Uh, had listened to it, and I thought it had to. We don't often get that side of the debate. You know, we we get artists complaining all the time. We get industry complaining all the time. And we don't often get the other side every so often because obviously well, there's far less players in it. In well, we sites. have to remember that the they have they come up with a solution. Have they actually, you know, Pandora and Spotify have created a brand new market that didn't exist before, and and they've integrated with the record companies. The record companies are getting money, but the record companies don't come out and, and are like, you know what, this is how we should do it, you know. This is this will this is what will solve the problems of our industry. No, they just well, apparently the uh, the the record company's response to uh, to YouTube is to just have every artist on YouTube with the word Vivo at the end of their name. That's I don't know if somebody else has probably not this sort of style like this, but there is a there is a prize draw for a flashback times four delay pedals if you're a keyboard player. <gasps> Which... TC electronic pedals are great though, they, especially the ones yeah. that enable you to edit the patches via USB. I think they're great, or other methods as well. But yeah, but it makes sense. I mean, you know, why why limit your audience? Why limit your potential customers? And the only the only thing I wonder is is there a te- I'm sure TC electronic can do it because you know they're pretty smart dudes. There will be a modification of some I sort. Think yeah. Scott might be going online to find out. I don't know. <laughs> no, I haven't gone online to find out. I did momentarily think about that, and then said, no, "I suspect that they will be able to handle that level of complexity for you, Adam." Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Indeed. So there you go. Have a look. I think 
what what does happen because usually I think it, usually this topic comes up in the other direction with wanting to plug a guitar or a bass into something which is expecting a line level in which case you have issues with your high frequencies being attenuated and stuff like that so your tone's not so great etc but <clears> what happens in the opposite direction what what does happen if you plug a a lower impedance thing into something that might be expecting the higher what? well you but, and, well, you get those classic impedance mismatches. It doesn't particularly matter which way the mis mismatch is happening. It prevents the it prevents the correct kind of transition of the of the signal across, and so you'll see kind of it's much more to do with unintentional filtration effects rather than a default. This is always what happens. Mm -hmm. So, kind of makes. Looking to find trying to see if I could find a little bit of more information here, but I'm not particularly. You know, I mean, the first thing obviously having I've had to do is go into the guitar pedal section to find out about the pedal I might use for my keyboard, it's, you know, <laughs> but that just made me smile, as they say. Let me have a quick look. I, I suspect... I've got on my floor a bunch of pedals, 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 and lots of patch cables. Um, unfortunately, you won't see that if you're listening to the audio podcast via audio only, if you're on the YouTube channel. Rather than do all of my processing in... Um, in like Logic or my DAW, I'm actually going to try and generate some sounds. It's the other thing you remember to remember with pedals is that a lot of them are mono in, mono out. Some of them yep. are mono stereo, mono in stereo out. There might be some stereo stereo as well, and it depends on really what they're. I'm just that idea to me. I might have a little little think about that maybe. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe. Well now every. A mobile camera today. Whoa. Whoa! And that's for a very specific reason. It's because today is my feature, and today my feature will be a kind of brief little, um, you know, it, it, back in the late in the when I suppose the, the earliest samplers would have been like the Fairlight board, which would have been 80s. Um, but you know they were formulated into uh, more of a rack type uh, format back in the 90s with 90s with Akai's and Emus and Yamaha came in later. Don't forget the Rolands, early Roland samplers as well. Um, yeah. And now there, um, but now since the you had your Mac 5 in um, in Digital Performer, um, and then the whole um, contact, you know, Native Instruments contact stuff. And some might find it a little bit more straightforward or convenient to use that. So now you can get some old school samplers pretty cheap considering how much they used to cost. Now I've got two here which I'm going to kind of run through and I'll kind of go through some of the, uh, the ins and outs, literally and um, non-literally, um, and other kind of features and things to expect and things to think about. Um, and you guys can butt in any time you want to ask questions or anything like that. Um, have you got any questions to start off with? Um, when you said about early samplers, I immediately went to something I've been talking about recently, which is kind of pre-digital samplers and the, the earliest form of sampling being the Mellotron, perhaps? Oh, the tape. Mellotron, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredibly difficult. You know, a digital sampler, you just record it in and then you start messing with it straight away. Um, yeah, I suppose. But you're, you've got but a lot you're more right. you're, I think that... That's kind of the the early the early side of sampling could be traced back to that and. Then
But as as a product, I would say, you know, it's fair to say that the Fairlight was the instigator, slightly uh, improved version of the S1000. The S1000 is, um, in many people's eyes, like this classic sample. This kind of range now is that they're revered for their kind of crunchy filters and their crunchy DA. Uh, DAs and ADs, so um, they're still sought after. I've already sold this one to somebody. Do you actually see anything? Not really. If I zoom in, does it? No. It's it's faded. The the LCD's faded, and that's just going to happen because. Uh, well, yeah. Well, that's that's the thing. So um, I don't I don't know exactly when SCSI came onto samplers, but uh, for those you, think you can get a SCSI know, to the USB C connector. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. But SCSI was parallel, though. It's not, you know, it's not serial at all. But anyway. Well, the thing to remember is SCSI. It um, was a, a, an 80s, 90s technology. Um, it was basically our Firewire, our Thunderbolt. Um, back then, it used to be what you connected hard drives with for speedy connections. There are lots of different types of SCSI as well, so you have to be careful um, what you. Uh, what type of cables? So that's an AES EBU, I suppose. And yeah. this one also has lots of outputs. Um, it's got eight channel outputs, um, also phones out, and a foot switch connector. So, so it's so it's so those. Go, on, I'm, go through those outputs again. So when you first said multiple outs, I thought you know you might be able to assign you different, say different samples on different MIDI channels to different outputs, but it's more. It's more for it's different to that, isn't it? It's not. Um, I, I I use this one, so I can't remember exactly how the assigning works, but you could probably do it per sample. Um, the I mean, for me, the ideal would be of this of this age. Samplers tend to be uh, floppy floppy drive storage, so maximum uh, to get the maximum time out of that, you can lower the sampling rate. Uh, so this will max out at sixteen forty four one. But you can do 32, you can do 16, you could probably do jacks, and there's also a record, uh, a recording gain switch, so you can switch low, mid, and high, and your. But this does show a waveform when you're editing. And um, 2001, 2002. Yeah, I think they swapped them out in 2003. Yeah. So that would be the S2000 sampler. So the S2000 is a few years younger than this. But it didn't have such a uh, uh, developed display. It was all just characters. And we used to use a, a software called Mesa, which connected via SCSI to um, do all the editing because it was Yes, easy. so do the editing on a Mac would be yeah. the way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. Up to this point, before I switch to my other sampler. No, carry on. I know. I'd, I'm enjoying this a lot, yeah. So last week... Um, I pointed my camera at this, which is the Z8 front panel. Now, the, the Z8 was two generations past. Uh, okay, and then you can see on the back here, um, this doesn't have multiple outputs at the moment, but it has a space just there where you can put a digital board or an analog board. Your inputs are on the back, your outputs are on the back. This one has 32 MIDI tracks, so two sets of MIDI ports. And uh, it's got a word clock instead of a SMPTE. 
because you can plug a keyboard into this to name samples and stuff. Amazing, huh? So if you I... You need a QWERTY keyboard on that occasion, yeah. A quality keyboard, yeah. Sorry, I've just switched that on and it's not plugged in as I just saw on the back, so you won't be able to see. But on the um, on this, again, it'll show a waveform. You've got all your functions. You've got a handy little. Okay, well, let's. Back in a sec. Scott, what what samplers have you used? I've got to be honest. That uh, I think a an ST the obviously the ST thousands that we were talking about before, and then very early moved on to computer based sampling. So I had a. A G3 MacBook, a G3 Pismo MacBook, which was capable of doing real-time sample playback. So, certainly so, because I guess the thing that the, the balance here that we're talking about, isn't it, is that the the hardware samplers were always incredibly reliable to work with, but the problems that you generally had, the problems in put having a session put together in a sampler and using Master Tracks Pro as a MIDI sequencer to play the sample, and that would be the track that I was trying to make. And the problem with that process was the was the the kind of MIDI connection out of Master Tracks into the sampler. That was what actually caused the problems. It was uh, th that, that kind of connection between them. But, but but now I think those connections are a lot better. Things. So you just have but, to remember what those were and not do yeah. them. The, that, that's exactly the point. I guess what I mean, what the point I'm trying to make is, is that well, the XS24, and I would say even to this day, is a horrible piece of software. Like there's, I just think it's horrific. Oh yeah. With. There was there was a moment where the computers started to become the preferred method, not because they were actually getting away from that pain of trying to inter interconnect them. I think the other the other side of it is, of course, once you're in the saved as part of the project, the problem with using a hardware sampler, um, Akai tried to they had Axis software for this, so that USB connector on the back could connect to the computer, and you could um, library manage. Um, the Z8 and the Z4 samplers, but the problem is that move away from starting my tracks on a DAW and actually trying to generate and work with material in an analog, in the analog domain or not in the DAW domain, hmm. and then you know get some sounds, feed them into my DAW, and then work on them there. So. Uh, we'll see how that kind of goes, and that might be quite an old school workflow. Sam, have you got your? Got I, my... I forgot one of one. Oh, okay. I forgot one of one. Just, just a very quick mention. Sorry, but the other one that I should have mentioned was the S, which I don't know if you guys remember that was slightly larger than a compact cassette, and it was incredibly poor in terms of actual audio. But in terms of, in terms of, here's a very limited feature set done very cheaply, and it's like very easy and fun to work with. It was absolutely. Yeah, something about that, yeah. And I was tempted, but, you know, I've got this one here, so I think I'll use this one for a bit and then maybe branch out. There are also more modern ones, like, have you heard of the Micro Granny? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, we, haven't actually, we haven't put that in the uh, in the in any of the audio podcast stuff, but maybe a, a plunder item for the future to look at the Micro Granny, because that's a, it's, it's a, a Raspberry Pi, so, you know... Mm. Sampling is still there. Now, Adam, I have to stop you there because remember, this is a historical input and it also has a line input. So you've got three choices of sampling source and there is a hierarchy of which basically, after you press the sampling button, it will automatically trim sil like the silence so it'll trim your sample and it has a loop set option so it can, you can loop your thing and you've got a... I'm back now, so that's good. Um, cool. that's the, the good thing about that, um, the the 
is it the SK-1? Yeah. Yep. Sampling keyboard, and they actually started making sampling keyboards rather than uh, rack units, but they all headed towards being racks. I think probably because everyone already had a keyboard anyway, so, you know, you could just plug it in by a MIDI, so it didn't really matter so much. The rack units were the blue, so that was the one that they had in one of the funny little studios at Huddersfield ages ago. Um, but yeah, I'll call out the S3000XL Akai Sampler, so yeah. That was the first Akai Sampler I used, the one with the, yeah, I think it was 3000, but it had the CD-ROM drive on the front. No, that was it. I don't so remember that. that was portable, it ran off batteries, and it was just kind of, it was fun. I think that was the idea with that one. And also ones like the Korg Electribe ES1, that was a, a kind of yeah. easy, fun little sampler that only did 32 kilohertz, I think, but um, you know, good, good. Who are kind of been working in kind of have an interest in music production or music technology in the last like you know less than the last ten years or something like that. Probably look at these hardware things and maybe have a reverence for particular ones based on audio quality issues. You know, like you know, like they have a distinctive sound to underperforming. So therefore, if you wanted to, if you wanted a lot of sample time then, you know, hardware samplers were the way you went. And if you wanted lots of functionality hardware samplers, you'd generally buy a sampler and a keyboard, and you would have to compromise. You could either have a moderate sampler and a moderate keyboard, or you could have a good sampler and a moderate a per keyboard, or you could have a good keyboard and a moderate sampler and the keyboard for the hardware approach, because even once you'd bought the soft, even once you'd bought the computer, you still had to furnish it with software, and there was lots of reliability questions and things like that. So it was, you know, which approach do you want to take sort of thing. So. Mm, indeed, indeed. Oh, that was just a, a, a just a, a little. That, that's cool. As, as the guys were talking, I have uh, quickly been uh, I've been making notes off every of the machines we've mentioned, so I'll add them into the notes, and people will be able to find them as a. <laughs> I didn't either. Actually, it was we're extending on here, but it did strike me that we all kind of had a lot of brand affiliation. Like I seem to do a lot of Yamaha ones. Adam, you were mainly listed. Um. That, but Emu, you know, they were there before Akai. They made one of the earliest samplers, sample keyboards. Um, and Yamaha, well, you know, it, it just depends how you kind of got into it all because Yamaha came on along a bit later. There were lots of Roland ones in the 80s, um, ones that you could connect to C CRT screens and have a little editing screen there at front. And that, I mean, that that's cool. Um, yeah. Because that's the thing about samplers is they're complex. There's a lot that you have to do with them to to make sound. You can't just press three buttons and it's done. Okay, with that, should we go into the um... plunder? Into the plunder. Yes. I forgot what it was called. I was like, yeah. <laughs> the sampler. Oh no, wait. Um, and yeah, the first first plunder is a documentary um, called. Discovering Electronic Music. It's available on the YouTube. The YouTube. It was made in 1983, so sticking with the vintage thing today. Oh my. I, uh, but this is pre. This is this yeah. is pre-vintage vintage. This is, yeah. Oh, it depends, because vintage is is measured from different places. So a vintage sampler would be an 80s sampler, an early 90s sampler, but a vintage guitar. Was By Sam, what greater recommendation could you need? <laughs> to watch Discovering Electronic Music by Bernard Willits, 1983. <laughs> and is um, Russian and English text throughout and is a catalogue 
of all of the yeah. There's a Clark Technic cool. one. Um, the Clark Technic one is a, a DN36 analog time processor. So I wonder if that's like yeah. Then you know you also got that if it's storage medium. So we've got Atari there, Apple, uh, Commodore. Yeah. Um, there's probably I don't know if Windows. Oh. They're all Type One. Oh no, they've got some Type Four. Zakai also make. I don't know if they still do, but they used to make stereo equipment. So, um, alongside from, from whenever that they might not be on this list, and you can submit. So, yep, flatbed scan of the cassette itself and of the inlay, preferably of no markings, and they will still accept new additions. Oh, my favourite is the Memorex DBS. It's got classic. This is getting 80s, too niche. Our favorite favorite tapes. Nineties type graphics on it, and it's just like perfect. It's, it's been said before the audio podcast where we look at pictures and talk about them. <laughs> well, you know, we've got we to. We've got to. Sa ninety. There you go. TDK Sa ninety. That was. They were. They were nice. I remember those tapes. They were good tapes. Okay, and and from. <laughs> so this is me. Uh, music XML. Um, I well. Um, Susanna had a hard drive failure. <gasps> oh. And as a consequence of the Parallels install, the Parallels install had a Windows XP Service Pack 1 with a running version of Sibelius 2 inside it. And that was a bit of a calamity, was how to print some Sibelius scores. So I, I, I went into work, I won't say where, but I, I went into work and, print, and made PDF copies of the Sibelius scores. So that was that problem resolved. Into work nice. at the CIA. Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? Let's say that. And then um, having having done that, I then noticed that in the current versions of Sibelius, there is an export loaded up a recent version of MuseScore, which is what we prefer to use now, and it worked. <gasps> Amazing. Oh, wow, an interchange language that actually works. I guess it all, these things it all depends on... Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've got to be buying another version of Sibelius. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> well, yes, but it's that moment where you kind of think it out in your mind and think, yeah, that, that's that's probably... Yeah. Anyway, it worked for me. Very happy about that, and I thought I should reflect. We sh I should mention that, so there you go. Cool. How about that? Sweet. And with that, I think we've made it to the end of the audio podcast. Show at theaudiopodcast.co.uk and via Twitter. The Audio Podcast, or at The Audio Podcast. Cool. You can also get us, uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, Gpodder, and Stitcher. But I think we, we may also have turned up on your, uh, is it In Radio? Is that what it's called? I don't know. Isn't that a name of a piece that you once wrote? I, I did, yes, many years ago, actually. That, that, Wasn't that on radio, though? Oh, maybe it was on radio, actually, yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I think we're... If, if I remember correctly, if you have a if you have like a PlayStation Four or a current Xbox, there is a chance that if you go into the streaming radio thing on that, we go. Well, neither that. none of us have got that those consoles, so we can't actually test. So if there's anyone out there who has a PlayStation Four or an Xbox One, can you can you just check to see if we're there and let us know? I think so. I think that's what it was, wasn't it? I don't remember. We'll mention you on the next show. Honestly. Yeah, we're not. 